Well, hey there. Welcome to Just To Be Nominated, a podcast about movies distributed by Lee Enterprises. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter for multiple decades who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal, Jared McNett, a reporter for the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa, and me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. This week, we talked about the new Nicolas Cage movie, Pig. We chewed the fat over the Anthony Bourdain documentary, Roadrunner, rounded up new releases worth checking out, and stuck the landing with what I guess you'd call the Summer Olympics coverage. For the staff picks section, we went deep on our favorite Nick Cage movies and hopefully put a spotlight on a couple that are in need of a little more love. And finally, we got into some of the latest movie news. You can find links to all the films that we talk about in the show notes, along with contact info if you want to sound off in our inbox or Twitter DMs. Let us know what you think in the review section of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. Have there been any fictional films set at the Olympics ever? Well, Chariots of Fire is one that's an Olympic film. Yeah. And um, the one I mentioned last time, Personal Best, has an Olympic overlay. That's right. So there are some like that. And then Cool Runnings, if you want to get into... uh, True. um, Olympics where it was about the Jamaican bobsled team. So there, yeah, it's it's ripe. And there's always, you know, the um, the Jesse Owens story, there's always somebody there that emerges from the games that you go, okay, that's somebody who could be a, the subject of a, of a film. One, um, one that I really want to try to catch is the, it's on, it's on Criterion, the Tokyo Olympiad. It's from like 1966 or 1965, something like that which at least from the synopsis talks about it, like following around like crowds and workers and stuff as much as it did like the actual athletes, which is, is kind of interesting. I would love to see like slice of life stuff at the Olympics. It's like a documentary. Yeah. I think there was, there's like a criterion collection, like of all of the, uh, you know, may not all, but a whole bunch of those funded documentaries that are out there going back to the sixties or something, I think. Well, that, that was the voices of Bruce Miller out in Sioux City and Jared McNett, a reporter for the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa. And I am Chris Lay, based in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, yeah, so we are here for Just to Be Nominated. Gold, silver, and bronze all in a row. In a, an Olympics podcast, that's, that's what we are. We're an Olympics podcast. Yes, absolutely. Cue the music. Bet it all on judo. <laughs> Thank you, Vangelis. We appreciate it. Yeah. Bud Greenspan is the gentleman who did a lot of the documentaries about the uh, Olympics. And uh, he won a lot of awards for them, too. So we'll see what happens out of this. Well, there might be some big... Um, Simone Biles biography. I, I would assume that would be a a, a no brainer. That's got to be Doug- sooner rather than later. Well, Gabby Douglas had one soon after she won in the Olympics. It was a lifetime movie, but um, you know, so it's possible that I think Simone is ripe for being a star of all of this. That's why I cross my fingers. Hope she doesn't get sick. Have you? Have either of you guys been watching the? There's a series on. 
Apple, Apple TV, where it's the, it's following the the U.S. gymnasts through the process of getting selected for the the team this year, um, and it is really fascinating. And it's also like to hear them talk about oh, there's you know however many positions or you know spots on the team, but then we just basically have to subtract one of those because obviously it's going to go to Simone Biles, who yep. is just a a machine. I mean, there is. I've been following that series and it's been really interesting. That is a, a grueling, grueling lifestyle. Oh, never, never, ever would you do that. Yeah. I think all three of us are, are past the uh, past the window. I think those, those are doors that have closed for us a while back. <laughs> yeah, curling is still available. You can still do curling. I was just about to say, even for like the like things that like most people would consider like the lesser Olympic events, the amount of training you still even have to do for those is like exhaustive and like just insane. Do you remember when Gina Davis was going for the Olympics? Mm -hmm. Archery. Archery, right. And then didn't get in. But the idea that you could just kind of say, call it, I'm going to go into the Olympics. I think that'd be kind of fun. Let's do that. There's no way in the world you do that. Yeah. Well, she also is a profoundly good archer. They should totally leverage that into some kind of a movie, you know, have her as some, you know, gender flipped Robin Hood type thing, maybe. I still wonder why, like, for like the Summer Olympics, because they have shootings, they have shooting in the Summer Olympics, don't they? I still wonder why, like, the U.S. doesn't just send, like, some Marine sniper, like, every, like, Summer Olympics to just, like, clean house in those categories. Well, this is the the way to get an Oscar conversation that we've had where it's uh, you got to get a, you know, short subject. Yeah. Short subject. Either, song. You know, yes. Yeah. If you're, if you're a musician who has a name, you can almost guarantee you'll get a nomination. If you write a song for a movie. Yep. So yeah. Well, would it, would curling be the curling, the you know, curling is big around in our Midwestern area. Oh yeah. And it is competitive but they do let older people in. So I think mm. that's our, our biggest strength. Yeah, it's a, it's a game of, of, of intense finesse as opposed to fitness. Yeah, yeah. And I think they do need to be fit. So I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing any curlers. I think they do a great job, but it is a lot of sweeping. No, I'll, I'll yes. bad-mouth any curlers. They, they can come at me. <laughs> no! <laughs> it's, you know what it is? It's a place for stray sports to get a, a platform. And when you never watch these and you go, oh, that's kind of cool. I'd watch that. Maybe you don't. You wait four years and watch it again. And that's it. Well, now's the time for uh, for stray movies to get a platform. <laughs> Transition. Okay. <laughs> oh, so I know Jared and I, the big movie that we saw recently is Pig. Pig, 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 pig. Isn't that good? I heard bad things. I heard it was awful. Who told you bad things? A friend. A friend. Who is this this nameless friend? I'm not I'm not dishing up names. No way. <laughs> Garbage take. Pig people, let's hear about it. I genuinely uh loved it. And at least of any new stuff that came out this year that I've seen, it's my favorite movie of the year. Um I went wait a saw- minute now. Wait a minute. We had our favorite movie like last week. I know I hadn't seen oh, it yet. No. I, I hadn't we seen had it. The, we had the six-monther, and then you had one. And then the next week you said, 
but you know, if I had been putting this in, we had that, and now we got Pig. Yeah. So we had three best movies in two, three weeks. We had we had the first the first half of the year list, and then directly after we did that, as Jared it always happens, Jared had another good one, and now we got the Pig. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I would put Pig as as my movie of the year, but I would have included it on my list if if we were doing it. So. I think it's just it's it's the you know once you you know seal up an envelope you know you're like oh I could have added this I could have <laughs> added added that other thing and we just all uh, we keep watching good stuff. Okay, so what's the premise? So basically, uh, it's a first time uh, director Michael uh, Cernowski, I think is how you say his last name, and the movie is about uh, Nicolas Cage plays at the at the start of the movie i'm gonna try not to spoil too much the start of the movie he's living out in the woods as basically like a hermit um he's got a big shaggy beard lives in a, like a cabin that's pretty dilapidated um his like supplies are pretty finite like at the beginning of the movie you see him like scooping stuff out of the river and whatnot and his main companion is this uh truffle pig that he uses to find uh, delicious delicious truffles which he uh, sells to this like fancy dude from the city, which is Portland in this case. And that's how he gets money for his uh, limited supplies to keep cooking because he used to be a chef. And then the inciting action, as you can see in the trailer, uh, his pig gets uh, stolen by some folks from the city and uh, Nicholas Cage ends up going to the city to try to get his pig back. And what's so great is that if you only watch the trailer and then go into the movie and don't read anything else, just only watch the trailer, you would think that it's taken, but just with a pig. And like Nicolas Cage is gonna go to Portland and just lay waste to people in the city, like gun people down or something like that, maybe even, or you know, beat them up or whatever. And as Chris can attest, that is not how the movie plays out at all. There is, There are no action scenes in that whole movie it is just a slow burn that just kind of emotionally hollows you out. <laughs> is it too slow? No. No, it's it's very uh, meditative, I think, would be a, a solid adjective. Um, yeah. And it's like the it's it's a perfect, perfectly paced film. And it's a it's a really it's like just the right length. Yeah, it's like 92 minutes doesn't doesn't try to go too long um try to stretch out because i mean the premise is pretty thin uh but the the nooks and crannies are all tonally on the nose even in like 92 minutes um it manages to create this pretty weird world it creates a portland that's clearly not exactly like real portland there's some like bizarre underground stuff at one point that you come across, but it's, it, it's only for like a second or two or a couple minutes, really. Um, and so you're like, wait a minute, what the hell is going on there? And then you're kind of off to the next thing, which I sort of appreciate that in the span of an hour and a half movie, you can like hint at all these like deeper underground sorts of things. But then, yeah, I mean, it, the movie really does hinge on like Nicolas Cage's performance. And I think it's one of the best ones I've seen him do anyway. Um, he is just like so so soulful in it and again like very meditative is a good way to describe his performance as well as the movie as a whole 
And like the the line of the movie probably comes when he's like tearing into this uh, chef that's just a complete like poser and kind of a douche. Um, and at one point, Nicholas Cage, the line of the movie, which is I think is in the trailers, basically says something to the effect of uh, we don't get a lot of things to care about, which I feel like if I had seen that movie when I was like 20, I wouldn't have appreciated that. But like, I feel like that's a line you only appreciate more as you get older. <laughs> like I was saying with the uh, with the Olympics, like we've got a lot of doors that have that have closed to us, you know, and it's only going to be more and more as you go. And and yeah, that that line, it's it's on the poster, too. So that's very much the the rallying call of, of the of the film. What were you going to say, Bruce? Who's in it with him? Anybody else we know? Alan Arkin. Oh, yeah. And uh, also uh, Alex Wolf, the kid from uh, Hereditary, the brother, who's really good in it, too. He plays the like kind of uh, like snobby uh, guy from the city who helps Nicolas Cage out. So it also kind of turns into this like generational contrast, too, as well as like this contrast of like, you know, outsiders and like city folk or whatever. Does Nicolas Cage have a shot at getting a Best Actor nomination or not? I think so. Yeah, I can see it. it I mean, because, I mean, it, the movie's from, among other, like, companies, Neon, and, I mean, you know, Parasite was from Neon and just cleaned house at the Oscars. So if they wanted to try to get behind this movie, I think you could easily get a acting nomination. Yeah, Neon definitely has the infrastructure in place to accomplish a, a solid award season run uh, with him. But I, I could see him getting a nomination. I don't know if, if he would win I know, you know, some of the think PC headlines of, you know, this movie cements Nicolas Cage as the actor of his generation or something are a little overblown, but he's definitely Johnny Depp. Come on. (laughs) Another absolute psycho when it comes to spending money on, on just wacky stuff. (laughs) Just for his wine or all of his, uh, I guess Nicolas Cage just has the the island full of his Superman related paraphernalia. Um, I I will kind of say like, uh, and I think maybe hopefully like this movie and just like the past couple of like really serious movies that he's done will kind of put the final nails in the coffin of like what was kind of just like a a meme for a while of Nicolas Cage just only being in bad movies, which, I mean, he does plenty of those, but like, he, it's pretty clear he's just doing those for money. And when he wants to, he's like incredible. And like, for a while, that was just like, the joke is like, ah, Nicolas Cage sucks. He's no good as an actor. And like, all you have to do is watch a movie like this and know that that's not exactly the case. So. Well, it also kind of adds to the, the frustrating, you know, aspect where it's, you know, he, he's got this in him. I don't know why we don't see this more often. Um, you know, Bruce Willis is another example of oh, someone. Yep. I know I'm, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit on uh, a point that, you know, Jared was going to make, but, you know, I mean, Bruce Willis, his whole thing is if you pay me $1 million per day, I will do any movie. And that's kind of it. And he's also gotten a bit of a reputation mainly from, Kevin Smith talking about his experience working with Bruce Willis on Cop Out, that Bruce Willis is just a complete pain in the ass. So I don't know. But Bruce Willis is another guy who can just turn it on when he needs to or when he's inspired by the work. And we're just not we don't see that very often. We get another, you know, warmed over diehard movie. Could you imagine being an actor, though, on a Nicolas Cage film where you go, hmm, 
is this the I'm making a movie or is this the we're doing a great movie and I'll be part of it? You could be in the crap film or you could be in the hit. I think you'll probably know sooner than when you're finally sitting across from him about to do a scene, which well, one it's going to be. Oh, no, we've got the crap film. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, maybe since we uh, mentioned uh, Bruce Willis, even though I guess we got a movie that came out yesterday with the last letter from your lover, we can mention one that's out today, which is uh, Midnight in the Switchgrass. What, uh, I don't actually know what the, that's uh, streaming on, Chris. What is that on? I don't know if that's, I don't think that's streaming on anything. I think that's just going to be in theaters. Okay. Um, yeah. Singular. It'll be in theater. What a bizarre cast. It's it's Bruce Willis, Megan Fox, uh, Emil Hirsch, which I don't remember the last thing I saw him pop up in, and then uh, Machine Gun Kelly, who I think is Megan Fox's boyfriend or fiance now, something like that. Um, and yeah, no, my my note for that uh, was basically just: Have we talked enough about how much Bruce Willis has like checked out in his performances? Because I think the last like movie he was in that was like worthwhile in terms of the work he was doing was Moonrise Kingdom, maybe. I don't know anything since then that he's done that I can remember or even cared about. Well, he's got a big family. He's got to make some money. <laughs> yeah. Emil Hirsch, he was in, was it Wild? Why Into the Wild. Yeah, that was, what, that was 14 years ago now, something like that, right? Yeah, and he was kind of the kid... So he must be the the old person in this one, huh? He's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, as the uh, the guy who uh, the movie Shampoo is based on. Yeah, Jay Sebring. I'd, I'd forgotten he was in that. The hairdresser. Yeah, I'd forgotten he was in that, but no, he's he's one I kind of lost uh, track of after a while. But I mean, I guess like two years ago, Bruce Willis was in uh, uh, Motherless Brooklyn, which is a movie that's way too long. But he's only in like part of that he's not the focal point of that movie so it's been a while since bruce has been in any uh anything worthwhile yeah i'd say looper is probably the last uh really notable work that he did that hinges on him uh specifically because yeah. moonrise kingdom he's in but obviously he's not the the mainstay of that movie either um jared did you say that you've seen the new snake eyes the new G.I. Joe movie? Oh, no, no, no. I was watching Snake Eyes with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> oh, different Snake Eyes. Yes. that gotcha. I, I realize now that, that I forgot that the new G.I. Joe movie was called Snake Eyes. No, I was watching Snake, the uh, Brian De Palma Snake Eyes, which I had not seen before and uh, loved. But no, I have not seen uh, Snake Eyes colon G.I. Joe Origins starring uh, Henry Golding and uh, Samara Weaving. Have you seen any good uh, screeners, Bruce? Yeah, the, the only thing I went to this week was I did see Roadrunner, the Anthony Bourdain thing. And I do have problems with them doing the voice bit. I think that was unnecessary. And I have a problem with them kind of drawing conclusions based on a tabloid um, report about the, the last girlfriend. Um, they use a letter that Bourdain wrote to uh, David Cho, I think, and then and then they actually got an AI company to reconstruct to use. Yeah, reconstruct it. it. It isn't necessary. It isn't necessary. And you know, the thing that's really more telling are the people around Anthony Bourdain who wondered what happened because they didn't see 
I, they obviously there was a change in his life. And um, the film tries to pin it on the people that he hung with because toward the end of his career, he, um, he became uh, partners with an Italian actress. And, and, and the thing with that is he fired a lot of people that had done films with him. And then she became like a de facto director and they brought in a, a big level cinematographer to shoot all this. And you see where, you know, the people who brought you are kind of like, wait a minute here, what's happening with this? And why aren't we good enough to do this? And why are you suddenly switching on us? And that's, that's a fascinating thing to unpack, but I don't know that they necessarily unpack all of it. And you end up still wondering at the end, you know, what really happened here? A lot of people are focusing on the, the AI, you know, ma manufactured voicing of, of stuff. But I think it's it's more. I'm more worried about the the fact that Asia Argento wasn't interviewed for the film, and the filmmaker pointedly went around, I think, in including her, even though she's mentioned by numerous people and is a a plot point uh for the film i say that ha having not seen it but I well they know. get you know they get to all up to her we're talking to everybody ex-wives uh, speak um you see him at home with the kids you see with all the people that he worked with you see friends talking you see other chefs talking so it's real thick on this and then you get to this end where it's like and then he decided that he was going to you know have a, a relationship with her and then he becomes a very big me too um spokesperson and because she was um allegedly uh assaulted by by harvey weinstein well and then you see him on talk shows where all he wants to talk about is me too and you think well why why is this you know there's there's missing information that i think you need to really understand it and i do think that the the uh documentary has a point of view before you even begin instead of discovering in the process, you know, too often you see that where they have an agenda and darn it, we're gonna make sure everything fits it. And so I was, I was surprised because I was expecting something kind of fun, at least the beginning parts. I thought it would be a little, you know, because he was a real lighthearted fun guy and, and I had interviewed him and I thought he was, you know, really charming. And the idea that this kind of is very dark all the way through, hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I certainly wonder if the filmmaker knew that this was going to be the dialogue around the film when it came out, that the, the AI thing and the, the you know, the, the production process that, that he conceptualized, you know, with excluding Asia Argento, I wonder if, if the filmmaker expected that that was going to be the major talking point and kind of dominate the the way that people are packaging and framing this movie going into it which is kind of muddied i mean i definitely want to see it but i still i feel like it, it has colored a lot of the way that i would go into it and it seems like it's doing the film a disservice for that to be dominating the the conversation around the film so you know in this in this era uh, now i'll stop after this but in no, this era of fake news and things like that, where people are very vigilant about what 
kind of information is put out there. It's not acceptable to play fast and loose with the kind of stuff you have and create things unless you're really obvious about it. You know, if you had done like animation in there somewhere, you go, okay, I get that. I know that that's animation. But when you're trying to, if you will, dupe the public into believing that this is him speaking, that's not right. Well, and then apparently too, uh, the because I still haven't seen it, but I was reading an uh, article from Slate that was mentioning that the ending is also staged to some extent too, which is kind of set yeah, up they, as this ca cathartic kind of ending. And even that's staged, which I mean, there's there's plenty of documentaries with stuff that's staged and it all just comes down to how honest you are about that staging with the audience or not. Yeah, the uh, one of his, you know, very close associates that he worked with um, grew, his beard grew out. He really didn't know how to cope with the idea that that Anthony was dead. And they said that some people were um, were defacing murals that had Anthony's face in them. And what apparently happened was they just, the, the director decided to do this with this guy where he would deface a, um, a, a, a mural of Anthony Bourdain. And so they give him all the, the spray paint and whatnot. So he can just kind of, if you will, get it out. And it was staged, at least that's what they say. And so was that really a documentary when you're just encouraging somebody to go and do this? Uh, you know, maybe we've talked too long, but there's, it could have been really great because there's so much footage out there on him. You could just really, you could do a great thing. And I, I was not all that excited about it, knowing the things that I found out yeah. about the film. That's also the, the fact that the the subject, Anthony Bourdain, so much of the way that he represented himself was all about authenticity. And so it's it's doubly problematic for this film to have so many uh, really unnecessary hiccups that could have been avoided uh, in in a way that wouldn't have necessarily diminished the film from everything that I understand and from, you know, what, what you're describing. But, but like I said, I still want to see it. It sounds like there's, you know, between the bumps in the road, it's still uh, got a lot going for it. And then I did see Space Jam 2. <laughs> I had to turn it off. I, I, that movie exhausted me in a way that I was not expecting and I could not stand it. I didn't expect plot elements to be lifted from hook with the you know the bad guys stealing the the kid and then raising the kid <laughs> like to hate the dad or something and then have the dad at the same anyway but i thought don Cheadle was good i liked don Cheadle. he was able to do a lot of goopy things that you think oh he'd never do that in a real film yeah but it's i mean all, all that don Cheadle had to do was you know, show up in a, you know, a soundstage in Atlanta for, you know, like a long weekend. Right. I love that Don Cheadle probably like cashed out for Space Jam 2 and then also got that Emmy nomination for like a 90 second scene in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Good time for Don Cheadle right now, man. <laughs> I'm sure that he, you know, filmed that in between doing, uh, you know, War Machine stuff for the Avengers, you know, 
just like going from one green screen room to the next. And that was, <laughs> that was, you know, one, one long week, two years ago for him. No, it's probably, no, it's probably like two days. <laughs> God, what a good life. Yep. It's a good life if you can have it. So we got a new M night movie. You want to wrap your, your head around this one, Jared? It's kind of cool that this is coming out as there's been like a big, at least online, big reappraisal of M. Night Shyamalan stuff. Um, it's really easy to make fun of uh, Last Airbender or The Happening, which is one of the worst horror movies I've seen, or uh, Lady in the Water. Um, but like the run of stuff from The Sixth Sense through Signs is about as strong as you can get especially for like horror directors or like thriller directors in the 21st century. And I mean, the village is, I still think pretty strong too, even though that one's easy to make fun of because of the premise. And then, you know, split was a lot of fun and so was uh, the visit. So I'm, I'm pretty excited for this one. I, I still actually haven't seen um, uh, glass, the, you know, sequel to unbreakable and split, but uh, I think, uh, was that a groan Bruce? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Not good, but I'm I'm excited for this. I I still think Emily Charmelin does does good work. Not all of the time, but uh, when he's clicking, it's still fun to watch his movies. What is the the premise of this one, Jared? Basically, people are uh, rapidly aging on this like horrifying uh, island. And that's As my friend says it's the longest movie ever. <laughs> we got to have your friend on the show. Yeah, we'll bring we'll bring the friend on. You can have. I want to hear him talk. Yeah. I want to hear them, uh, you know, diss pig to our faces. (laughs) The friend is is just going to be Bruce in a mustache with glasses. (laughs) I hear it's bad. Yeah. It's It's just going to be the Groucho Marx uh, glasses. That was the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. Yep. (laughs) So you're going to go see old. I want to go see the comeback trail, which is the new uh, De Niro uh zach braff they play filmmakers uh who kind of figure out producer style that they can get more money by having uh you know a bad film but they 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 cash insurance checks on you know actors you know either dying or or being being hurt and so they cast tommy lee jones in this western role and tommy lee jones plays this grizzled you know old i mean basically plays tommy lee jones more or less and uh, it's them, I think, constantly trying to kill him on on set in a way where it will net them the insurance money, which sounds just like the the perfect amount of stupid and smart and perfect casting uh, for me to buy a ticket. Oh, man, Morgan Freeman also in this one just popping up. Morgan Freeman also starting to drift dangerously close to the uh, to the Bruce Willis zone. Although he's not in as, in as many straight to video uh, movies as Bruce Willis is at this point. The, okay, actor of that caliber, do you go for the money, or do you worry about the legacy? I mean, at some point, you figure that the legacy is locked up. Yeah, you know, and I mean, there's some people, some actors where you know, there isn't any like, like De Niro and, and Morgan Freeman. I don't know what they could do that would really tarnish their legacy at this point. They just oh, yeah. have, they can, they can just keep making 
slop as long as they want and they're fine. They don't have to worry about Robert it. De Niro has been making a lot of those films. So I think that I think you can get to a point where you do too many of them and then you're going to say, you know what? I don't remember the good ones. Even though they're classic and iconic and all that, there you can I think you can muddy the waters way too much. You know, you can just almost hear those documentaries at the end where they go, and in the later years he accepted anything that came his way. And the movies were incredibly bad. But he still, you know, throws himself into the the weird movies that that he does for maybe not for the most part but i'm thinking of uh you know the the fockers all all, all of those movies meet the parents but then um, look at that grandpa one he did most recently with uma thurman that was dreadful the one where he did comedy was that the one it's comedy well they say it's a comedy but it was it was just this last year he did this thing with um uma thurman was his daughter and he had to go and stay with his relatives because he hurt his leg. And the, he and the little grandson square off at who gets the room. So he's being really evil to uh, this grandson. You think, well, why is this? There's no reason for this. And um, yeah, it's. Well, and then there was uh, Dirty Grandpa from like 2016 with a different uh, Zach, Zach Efron that a lot of people said was one of the worst movies they'd ever seen. So. Yeah. But I mean, you know, two years ago he was in the Irishman, which is phenomenal. So but there again, you have to watch who they're working with. Yep. Okay. Marty's not gonna send him down the river. No. So that's a good thing. But some of these other ones. And you know, why is Francis Ford Coppola not doing anything? That is wine, man. I yeah, but I, I I can get that. But I want him to make a movie. I don't just want the kids to get a movie. It's time for him to do something. How old is he now? He's uh, 82. How old as you think? He's I don't 82. think. Yeah, he could. He's still got. He could. He could do one. Chamber. Sure. Let's get those old guys back together and then tame Al Pacino down a little bit. You know, because he's gone way over. Hoo ha! He's gone a little too far. Hoo ha, Charlie! Hoo ha! Ever since that movie, and they gave him the Oscar. There's a lot of crap. Well, speaking of a lot of crap, jumping into the staff picks with uh, Jared and I having seen Pig and with uh, Bruce's friend having dissed it. it wasn't that good. Yeah, <laughs> it. We're going to throw out uh, our personal favorite Nicolas Cage roles, which there is an absurd amount to choose from. Yeah, that's what surprises you most is you look and you say, Nicolas Cage, oh, he does all those really crappy movies like National Treasure and stuff like that. And you go, no, there's some really, really good stuff, but it is cherry picking. You've got to kind of go. It's like every fifth film is decent. It's almost yeah. like a, even, a sort of uh, animal rooting through the woods looking for a very like, expensive. Truffles. Yes. <laughs> We're looking for the truffles that are in the Nicolas uh, Cage filmography. Yeah, the forest that is his filmography. We are all pigs rooting around yeah. in it. And and I will come to the defense of National Treasure as being a 
perfectly fine popcorn flick. It's not it's not trash, but it is definitely uh, at least the first one. Middle brow, I think. Middle brow is a uh, not. Uh, I don't know. Is would you say that that calling something middle brow is is showing a disrespect or is an insult? They I don't make know. money. No. That's what is the what is the goal of a Hollywood film to make money? Yeah. Maybe workmanlike is a better uh, better descriptor. What was that? Workmanlike. Workmanlike. Yeah. Well, and more populist than most of his stuff. He has a lot of art house stuff, but as the uh, the the most populist loving uh, one of the three of us, Bruce, you wanna? Yeah, you know, I I have a, I wrote down a lot of them, and. Um, I, we talked before, so I'm not going to use this as my one, but I love, love, love Raising Arizona. And I think that really showcased him in a way that made me think, ah, there's a lot here. But um, I like Adaptation. I thought Adaptation was a good film. And I thought that, you know, I mean, come on, two roles, you can't go wrong. But um, it had a great cast. It had a great premise. It had a great, um, a great viewpoint that I liked. And I think that really worked and that used him to advantage. So I'll pick Adaptation as a film that I think you should see. Adaptation is, that's one like scrolling back through. I'm like, oh yeah, he did do that. And and he he acted the hell out of that movie. I mean, between having two roles with him having to interact with himself and, and having the, the effects really work uh, and also having it be this sort of almost semi-autobiographical sketch of himself going between the art house and the you know extremely populist <laughs> uh you know version uh of Nicolas Cage yeah it's truly it's perfect casting perfectly executed I wish Spike Jones made more movies and Meryl Streep you got Meryl Streep in there yep it can't go wrong so I, I'll pick that and man yeah I it was a little while ago uh, when I rewatched uh, Raising Arizona, but it was sometime this year, and it can't be said enough how funny that movie is. And I, whenever the like all almost every Coen Brothers movie like is funny to one degree or another, but when they go full full bore comedy like that, I mean those movies are potent like that. And of course, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, they they can do comedy as well as anybody. My pick is going to be closer to the uh, the art house side of things. And I'm going to say Wild at Heart. Ooh, very nice. David Lynch's uh, weird. <laughs> that doesn't limit it. Yeah. I mean, would you say, I don't know if like Starcross Lovers, he plays like a bad boy uh, with a, you know, his, his, his jacket that he's always talking about. When I think of David Lynch movies, I think of like Blue Velvet is one that just about anybody can kind of approach, even though it, it is still incredibly weird uh, and is very accessible in its way. And I feel like Wild at Heart is like the next, is like just one step down from that um, as far as accessibility for, you know, David Lynch and is as crazy and not as talked about. Uh, so I'm going to say Wild at Heart. Also an incredible Laura Dern performance in there. Um, just, yeah, a, we don't talk about Wild at Heart enough. 
go check it out. No, yeah, I, uh, uh, I, I think it was just last week I was saying this and lamenting it, but like that's a David Lynch is another one that because uh, I don't think I mentioned him last week. David Lynch is another one that Nick Cage worked with and did a gave a fantastic performance for, and then just has never worked with him again since either, which is a shame because yeah, I only recently saw Wild at Heart like month maybe two months ago and i was blown away by it it's fantastic and nicholas cage just fits so perfectly into david lynch's world about as well as any actor could like when you consider what some of nick cage's skill sets are like that would be like that's the like a factory creation for a david lynch kind of thing you couldn't get a better fit my pick because i i, I do genuinely think that uh pig is the best performance that i've seen him give um and my second place ever I think so. I think so. At least of the ones that I've seen. I still haven't seen uh, Leaving Las Vegas, which I know he won the Oscar for, but at least of the ones I've seen, which is quite a few, I think it's the best performance I've seen. And I think uh, Mandy is probably my second favorite, but I've, I've given both of those enough love. So the one I will throw out instead is from uh, 2009, and it's a uh, Werner Herzog's uh, Bad Lieutenant, colon, Port of Call, uh, New Orleans, which is just a uh, insane, uh, like, crooked cop movie where Nicolas Cage plays this cop who at one point smokes crack while waving a gun around uh, at this guy whose girlfriend he's having sex with in front of the guy. Like, that's a scene in Bad Lieutenant, and it's, I don't even think the most bonkers scene in that movie where at one point Nicolas Cage starts doing a different accent, like a wise guy from the thirties accent. And then he just drops it again, like two minutes later in the same scene. Um, it, there was a, a meme a while back of like uh, Nicolas Cage movies where like one axis or axis, like Y axis was like, uh, you know, bonkers to relatively sane. And then the X axis was like, you know, good to bad. And this would definitely be all the way at the top of the y-axis and bonkers and about as far to the right, I guess, on the bad to good uh, x-axis as you could get. He's insane in it, but it's a fantastic performance of just this really crooked cop who has just lost his mind and still has way too much power for how uh, insane he is. So that's it's perfect casting because it's he's supposed to be absolutely off the rails. Yeah, just unhinged from like the word go. It's clear that this guy is a bad dude. Wow. Shoot him again. His soul's still dancing. Yep. Yeah, the, the other one in that vein is the one that I just watched last night too, although he's not quite as unhinged, but in uh Snake Eyes, he's, it's a little bit similar thing too, of just this like insufferable awful crooked cop but at least in snake eyes he gets a little bit of uh redemption if you want to see an irredeemable uh nicholas cage bad lieutenant's the way to go yeah but i mean i feel like we're still leaving money on the table like oh peggy Sue got married great peggy sue got married even though he was inappropriate for the role um birdie which i mentioned to you guys last month mm-hmm. last week rather moonstruck with share yep there valley girl yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff there, and you know, it's a it's he's a got, sm- it's a smaller one, but he's great in Kickass. Uh, it's really fun in that. Um, he's really he's fantastic in Matchstick Man, which I think we've talked about mm-hmm. that movie before on here. 
Um, I would say uh, a lesser talked about film from just a couple years ago, Mom and Dad. Yes, which was that's a, a lot of fun. Really tight little uh, zombie movie kind of thing. Very low budget and uh, intimate in a way. But it's, yeah, over the top uh, with Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair. And yeah, that's one very well worth tracking down if anybody is feeling that. And you mentioned Bringing Out the Dead last week. That's another... Even something like it could happen to you, kind of a schmaltzy, you know, romantic comedy type thing. He absolutely sticks the landing on. And yeah, I would say definitely go and see uh, Leaving Las Vegas as soon as you can, Jared. It's a it's a real bummer. But is it as much of a bummer as Pig? More. More. OK. Uh, yeah. Elizabeth Shue in that is just tremendous. But so, Yeah. So Nicholas Cage, go see him. Now we turn to the news ticker. What have you guys been catching news-wise? I know there's a whole bunch of trailers that have dropped this week. Jared's got one that is burning a hole in his. Okay, let me just tell you, this is something I hate. Where they make this a news thing that suddenly the trailer was really, you hear my entertainment tonight, they always love to do that. And we got first exclusive looks at the trailer for, and you think that's an ad, that's not news. But anyway, Jared, after I just kind of deflated the concept of the trailer, okay. Well, what one did you, you saw Dune and you said it's not so bad. Oh no, that was not the one I was gonna pick. And I will say, uh, the, the only thing with trailer stuff that annoys me now is that when we have like the, the teaser trailers that get like all kinds of coverage, I get like a, a first trailer, like getting coverage, but when it's just like the teaser where it's just like the title card for the movie and maybe some like music or something like that's, that's pretty thin rule to be uh, ladling out. Um, but no, the thing I am uh, super, super excited about um, and a little while back, we talked about the great uh, GQ profile of uh, Johnny Knoxville, which got into some of the uh, Jackass uh, Forever movie. Now the uh, trailer for that is out, and I am just so excited for Jackass to be coming back uh, later this year. It's uh, quite the trip, even from just the trailer, to be seeing all those guys older and still doing the exact same uh, stupid stuff that we know and I love. His, his grandpa guy in there too, it looks like. Yeah, he did, which I'm uh, kind of amazed that they were able to pull that off at this point. Cause like for a while they did that character because people wouldn't recognize him. But I would think at this point, people would even recognize that character. So props to them for being able to still pull stuff off with those sorts of uh, pranks this far into it. Um, but no, I'm, I'm very excited to, to see that. And I think it's coming out the same week as uh, Dune. And even though I love uh, my man, oh, good Denis, luck. even though I love my man, Denis, I'm going to be seeing Jackass before I see Dune, I think. So high praise indeed. Jackass. Is it forever? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Jackass forever. But they do bring some new people in. So you don't think it's just old people killing themselves. It's there's some young ones that'll do that stuff. And then they're not brain damaged forever. Another uh, machine gun Kelly appearance. Including, uh, yeah, Eric Andre, too, which I'm very excited about. That that got me as excited as anything, seeing the trailers that they roped him into their uh, madness. Yeah. Well, they're passing the torch in a way. I mean... What I always loved is how Johnny Knoxville would sell the um, 
the pain a little better than the others. Oh, oh, and you just be half dead on a thing. And you think, oh, come on. I kind of think you're exaggerating a little. And meanwhile, <laughs> he always had his ass stapled together. And you think, really? That looks like that would hurt. No, I'm extremely excited for for the new jackass and it I, with trailers for that kind of stuff i'm always intrigued about what they're holding back so i'm definitely wondering what they're gonna what what's gonna be something that's gonna you know jump out as <laughs> doable i recently watched through i bought the collection of all the jackass movies including like the point fives and like the uh, bad grandpa and bad grandpa point five and everything and I was well, I was watching everything even like the deleted scenes and all the outtakes and even the trailers and stuff and then I forget which one it is either the second one or third one but the one that has the scene with the horse and that's all I'm gonna say um they had the after shots of that in the trailer for that which I'm amazed that they were a able to have that in the trailer and b that they would put that in the trailer considering that that's kind of a uh a big thing in that uh, in that movie, a major like gross out point in that movie. When I was watching through the, the third one and I was watching some of the deleted scenes and stuff, there was like a very, and one of the things like going along watching the movies, like I just got more and more charmed by like all of their dynamics with each other. And in the third one, something that was very charming in the deleted scene is like Steve-O's getting ready to do a similar stunt where he's just gonna get like nailed by like a, you know, those like uh, baseball practice things where you hit it and it like winds around. He's on the like receiving end of that. And as he's like trying to set up the stunt, uh, he says like, I'm Steve-O. And then he grimaces and is like, why do I have to be Steve-O? <laughs> <laughs> Which is perfect. Yeah. That's what I love about those movies is the, those guys kind of dynamic with each other. He did a tour. It was a comedy tour last year. And he came here and I was able to talk to him extensively. I got a, a really long interview with him about his whole life. And he does have lingering ailments from all of this. And he thinks his teeth look bad because they've been knocked out so many times. Um, but he is now into animal preservation kind of things. He and his girlfriend are, are I don't know if they're married yet, but they were planning to get married. And, um, and he thinks his tattoos are bad. He has a lot, he, has a lot of things to diss about himself. But, you know, he said, whoever thought that I would get this far with these just stupid things that I did. So, and he, you know, would I be dead if I didn't get this attention? Who knows? But I do think he does, he likes the attention. I think that's what keeps a lot of them in it, you know? It's certainly interesting to see each of the, the cast members turning into uh, you know, these walking memorials to bad ideas uh, in in whatever capacity they are. Even someone like Bam Margera, who is a, a, a tragic case at this point um, with, you know, substance abuse and Ryan Dunn. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, they're all coping with the career paths that they chose in in different ways yeah that's that's the the flip side of all of this with those guys <clears throat> i think jackass is one of the i mean honestly one of the most important cultural touchstones of of the last 20 years at this point and i have a very difficult i mean i think it's it's ridiculous to say that but yeah, it's it's astounding that they have managed to maintain the anarchic levels of 
creativity and bodily harm. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, what, what was it? I mean, going back to, uh, was it uh, Chris Burden where, you know, he like filmed himself getting shot by a, by a 22 in the arm. And that was like his whole thing. Um, and then that's in, you know, the museum of modern art, you know, it's up there with like Marina Abramovich level intense performance art. And I feel like Jackass is a much more populist, <laughs> less hoity toity, uh, entry point for that. So anyway, they were TikTok videos before we got TikTok. What about you, Bruce? Um, oh, I just have a little stupid one. Uh, you know, they're doing, there's the Sopranos film that's coming out called The Many Saints of Newark, the prequel. And they're doing a, a Monopoly game that's based on Sopranos. And I think that's kind of fun. It is fun. Bada Bing is in there. Of course. Of course. So, is that, a, what's, a, what's Boardwalk in the game, I'm wondering? I don't know. I don't know what they what they're putting on the big big spots, but um, you know it's probably Monopoly. Famously, is based off of uh, Atlantic City, so it's good to get that uh, Jersey connection back into Monopoly again. But yeah, so that's that's as good as I can give you this week. Sorry, I'm good with that. No apology needed. None. Um, yeah, I think the the news item that I've got kind of barely fits. It's a, an op ed from the LA Times uh, that came out a few days ago, uh, written by Peter Labuza. Um, and it's basically kind of running down the ways, well, it's, it's titled, uh, How the Streaming Wars Are Changing What You Watch. And it's basically how Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, Apple um, are kind of controlling the way that content is being created, much less distributed in ways that it is uh, all about, you know, just getting eyeballs for the immediate time, but without necessarily having any concern for cultural relevancy after the fact. One of the, the quotes on here is, uh, while co-founder Ted Sarandos claims that Netflix uh, makes a billion dollars of box office in terms of cultural impact, like for a hit film, uh, when was the last time someone mentioned, say, Six Underground or Thunder Force? Um, you know, these movies, they sunk a ton of money into, but ultimately no one cares about. Uh, and it seems like they are more than happy to, you know, just buy up indie dramas like Malcolm and Marie and then push them for a couple of weeks for award season and then just bury them. Same with Amazon and the new Barry Jenkins Underground Railroad, which it seems like like that that took up one news cycle and then just kind of disappeared uh, so yeah, and it's, it's harder to find these things. I mean, they, they make it so they just push, you know, the films at you that they want you to be aware of. And it's weirder and more difficult to actually seek out, you know, the, the unique things. That's not even just with, you know, those streaming platforms. I mean, that's true too, in a, in a different sort of way with like, I mean, uh, a platform like Twitter was always meant to be like ephemeral. But now when you're going through the timeline, like, and it'll just, and people complain about this plenty, it'll just like refresh itself with just when you notice something that like piques your interest and then it's gone and you're like, oh great, now I got to like either scroll back to it or just it's, it's lost and whatever that thing was that piqued my interest is gone. But, oh, that's okay because something else is going to come around in the next five seconds. But the, uh, the article, it goes on to kind of make a, you know, comparison to the antitrust laws uh, way back when that made it so 
movie theater or movie studios couldn't own the theater system. And now it seems like we're basically re-entering that and it's not necessarily going to be as good for, for content. So yeah, LA times, Peter Labuza, how the streaming wars are changing what you watch. That's my pick. But one of us had a very uh, uh, thinky uh, thing to recommend as a news item versus Jackass trailer and uh, new Monopoly game. But I mean, we definitely, uh, I think we, 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 dr- we drilled down pretty deep on both of them. So on both those other ones. And then next week, we've got, is it Jungle Cruise? And Stillwater. And Stillwater, which you have spoken pretty highly of. I thought it was good. I, it's not great, but it's good. And it gives uh, Matt Damon a different, a different card in his deck. Yeah. And it also, if I'm, uh, it looks like we're also getting The Green Knight, uh, the latest A24 film from David Lowry that uh, should have come out last year and got pushed back pretty far. Yeah. I'm interested in seeing that one because I'm a big fan of, oh, it's been a little bit since I've seen Ghost Story, but Ghost Story is fantastic and David Lowry did that one as well. What a heavy, heavy movie. Woo. So yeah, bunch of good stuff next week. Jared, you want to take us out? Look, you, you could get uh, lost in, uh, in watching the Olympics and that's totally fine. Olympics, Olympics are fantastic, but uh, we don't we don't talk about the Olympics. So get them out of here for for our purposes instead. What you need to do is you need to plunk down on the couch and uh, watch a movie or go to the theater and uh, see something good. See something good. So that is the end of the episode. Next week we've got the Jungle Cruise movie to look forward to. So make sure that you are subscribed. You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself as well if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope you enjoyed the show and are taking care of yourselves out there. As always, thank you so much for listening.